The reading this evening is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. If you'd like to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1182. Colossians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Um, as Victoria mentioned, as a church, we've been uh, refreshing our vision. Uh, first, we looked at um, revival. Um, we looked at refreshing our hearts and what that means. Then we moved on to growing in our witness, how we talk to people, how we share the gospel. And now we're, we've moved on to the book of Colossians, and uh, the, the aim of reading this through this series is to look at what does it mean to purposefully build up disciples. To me, when I started reading this, I prayed about it, what does it mean? 
I read through Colossians and, and, and I came to the, 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 the conclusion for my theme for this preach is for me, uh, building up disciples means coming back to Christ in faithfulness and allowing the Spirit to mature us in whichever place we're in, whether we're young Christians, like the church in Colossae, or whether we've been Christians for our whole life. A bit of uh, context of the book of Colossians is it's written by Paul. It's, it's a letter to this young church, a church that he's not set out. Uh, he, he, hadn't, he, had, he hadn't been there before. He hadn't um, spread the gospel. Uh, Paul used to be a Jew, uh, and, it, and on one of his journeys, he, he persecuted Christians. He didn't like Christians, probably even hated Christians. It says that. Um, it's, and that God, on one of his journeys, came into his life and showed him that Christianity was the truth. All of these people he'd been persecuting and, and what they'd been saying was true. Off the back of that, the, the Holy Spirit worked in his life. God, God changed his view and he went on multiple trips, set up churches uh, around the Mediterranean. Um, and when he's writing the book, the book of Colossians, this letter to this church that he hasn't visited before, he's actually in prison in Rome. There's been a lot of um, debates and theories about why he wrote this letter to the church. Um, people used to think that there was some kind of heresy or false teaching going on. Um, it's not exactly known what the church faced. There are hints later in the letter about a, a few of the um, issues that they, they faced and um, influence from other groups, from uh, old pagan religions, uh, from, from, the, from the Jewish groups around them, telling them what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. What's clear that Paul's doing with his letter, though, is he's affirming their faith. He's saying, you are Christians. You have heard the truth of the gospel. Remain centred on Christ. If we're um, going to overcome trials and, and, and issues that we don't know what they are, that, I mean, we don't know what the, the issues that the church in, in Colossae faced, the, Paul says the only way you're going to get through this is by knowing who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. You can... You can sum up the, the, the book of Colossians as knowing the complete adequacy of Christ, Lord of all of creation, what's visible and invisible, who has secured redemption for us through his death, resurrection and fullness, and allowed us to participate, participate in that with him through Christ. Uh, this, this passage that, that Mandy's just read... It gives us a basis to start building on our, on our Christian faith and what it means to be a disciple. Uh, first, their, uh, Paul affirms their, their faith as Christians. He, uh, the, he affirms the, the true gospel that they've heard. Then he moves on to, to thanking God for that and, and talks about thankfulness. And then he goes and ends, and ends this part of his letter by saying, now go and ask for more, pray for more, pay for um, an understanding of God's will. It's interesting that Paul starts his letter affirming their faith. I think often we can, um, when we become a Christian, we think it's some kind of, well, that's it, I've become a Christian, I know it's the truth, um, what do I go and do next? But actually, for a lot of us here, uh, you might be, have, have only recently reaffirmed your faith. You, you thought you were a Christian, you drifted away, and now you're like, oh, I'm not sure actually what it means to be a Christian. Am I a Christian? Or maybe in the last week or so, you've actually gone, I've asked the, the Lord, I've asked Jesus into my heart for the first time. Um, but you know, uh, that was a great experience, and, and I really meant it at the time, but I'm not sure whether I think I'm a Christian now. 
Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've hit a lull in your life. What Paul's doing in this first part of the letter is he's affirming people's faith in Christ and he's affirming the true gospel. When I first started reading about this, I thought, oh, that's a great first point. How do you become deeper in Christ? Oh, well, you, you affirm your faith as a Christian and you uh, affirm your faith in the true gospel. What does it mean to be the true gospel? I started thinking, oh, that, that's a really good first point. What does it mean to, to be further rooted in Jesus, to be further rooted in the gospel? Now, at university, I loved a pub quiz. Monday evening, one pound entry, free chips and sausage, half price, half price pints, and um, if you won, you got a gallon of, of beer, which is eight pints, right? <laughs> Depending on how many people you had in a team, it could be two pints each, or the only time we won it, it was half a pint each. <laughs> um, but I started thinking, okay, well, what does it mean to be rooted in Jesus? What does it mean to know the true gospel? I started thinking, well, if it was a pub quiz, it would be to know more about Jesus, to know more about his life, what he did. It would be to know all of his miracles, to know all of the parables, their, their meaning, and, and, and what what, what is that? How could I get 10 out of 10 on a pub quiz round for the true gospel? But that's not what Paul means when he says, you know the true gospel to the, to the church, to the, to the Colossians. He sums it up in just two words. He says, you've heard the true gospel, you've understood it. What have they understood? God's grace. God's grace is the summary of the gospel message. It's the heart it's not that we've chosen God, it's not that we've gone and got more knowledge and we can go back and being deeper rooted is, oh, how do I get 10 out of 10 on a quiz round on the gospel? It's understanding that it's not our commitment to him, but instead his free and merciful offer for him to commit himself to us through Christ. Having grown up in a Christian family, gone off to university, surrounded myself with Christians, lived with Christians... I think when I came to answer, to, to think about this first point of what does it mean to know the true gospel, I realized that actually I'd, I'd become numb to the, to, the, to the meaning of what the gospel is. I hear it all the time, oh, we know the gospel, uh, it's a true gospel, the gospel's in here, it's, it's this, it's the good news, we need to spread it around. But I'd forgotten what it really is, and that accepting the saviour means nothing if he hasn't already accepted us into him. The, the true gospel isn't just a, a point on its own and it being rooted in that means nothing if there's not, uh, okay, so, so what, what is the true gospel for me as a Christian? It's not just this, this, well, it is this story of grace, but there's more to it. And Paul goes on later on to explain verses 12, uh, 13 and 14. He says, uh, giving joy, joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. What does the gospel mean for us as Christians? Well, it means that, uh, we, that it means that the gospel has qualified us. God has qualified us. He's rescued us and he's redeemed us. I started thinking about qualification. For me at the moment, it's quite a, a, a topic that's on point. I've just finished my degree. Uh, two days ago, I got my uh, qualification certificate in uh, an email, and next week I'm going to go off to my graduation and, and, and get to shake some person's hand who I've never met, and they say, you're qualified now in your, uh, your degree of economics. 
But that's not what qualification is. I worked for that qualification. What the gospel message is, what the true message is, is that God has qualified us. And I thought, well, that's a bit of a harder thing to think about, to, to get my head around. The, the only thing I, that came to mind is recently I've come back on holiday from a, a road trip around Europe with a friend. Uh, we were in a car um, traveling around, but I, I'm not qualified to drive. I haven't learned how to drive yet. Without my friend being qualified, I wouldn't have been able to participate in that journey. I would have been left in England in the rain, in the gray, the gray, the gray sides, maybe going to a beach somewhere, but it wouldn't have been the warm Mediterranean sea that I was swimming in. My friend being able to drive qualified me to go on that journey. That's what knowing the gospel means as a Christian. God has qualified us. He doesn't just qualify us though, he rescued us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. When I think of rescue, the first people I think of, you might think of firemen or policemen, first people I think of, maybe it's because I've been on holiday, is the RNLI, when they go and rescue someone drowning in the sea. When they go and rescue someone and they're drowning, they pick them up out of the water, they put a towel around them, they dry them off, they give them a heat blanket, you might have to go to hospital to recover afterwards. If Jesus worked for the RNLI, and what Paul's telling us is if you were drowning in the water, he'd pick you up out of the ocean, out of that kingdom of dark, darkness, and as soon as he picked you up, you'd be dry, you'd be warm. He, he turned to one side, put you down, and the next thing you know, you're sitting on the beach, you're enjoying yourself again, you're in the kingdom of light. You're dry, you're warm, there's, there's nothing else to it. He qualified us, he's rescued us. And then Paul says, he's redeemed us. When I think of the word redeemed, um, my first thought is gift cards. Um, but it's actually been a long time since I received a gift card. I don't know, I don't know the last time I even redeemed a gift card or got sent it. I get sent a seven pound gift card from some family friends once a year and it just kind of piles up. What I do redeem though <laughs> is Amazon vouchers. And, it, and it's good fun redeeming an Amazon voucher as well because you, you put it in your basket, then you click on your basket and it says the total. You, you have to pay $39.99. There's a nice little box underneath that says, do you have any vouchers to redeem? And you think, yes, I have. This is great. You scan your your vouchers, you type it in, press a button, and then what happens on the screen? $39.99 minus $39.99. How much do you have to pay? Zero pounds. It's good fun when that happens. You know, (laughs) it is. I mean... I was a student and I have had a lot of fun at university, but I've also enjoyed redeeming Amazon vouchers. Um, but that's what, that's what happens for us with our sin. You know, the Father has died for us. It's his grace. It's, it's a gospel of grace. And he's redeemed us. He's taken away that sin. We don't have to pay anything for it. Hallelujah. But for some of, some of you here, you might be like the Colossians and think, okay, it's a gospel of grace. It's a true gospel. But am I a true Christian? The true gospel creates true Christians. We can only react in our heart to what is true. Going back to what I said about you, you might be, uh, have only recently reaffirmed your faith or asked Jesus into your life, or you might have been a lull in your life. It's the same for people in both situations. Recently, when I was writing my dissertation, I found myself going into the library every day, coming home, having dinner, going to bed, back into the library the next morning. The same thing, day after day, um, 
month after month and a half. Um, and what I found is one day I was walking into the library and I thought, is my life any different as a Christian? Am I a Christian right now? Uh, or am I just a person who's, who's doing some good, I'm, I'm living a good life, but my life doesn't seem any different to my non-Christian friends who are also writing their dissertations and going into the library. What makes me different? What Paul says makes us different is, is, is out there at the beginning, it's, it's love, faith, and hope. In, in Paul's other letters, he talks about love, faith, and hope a lot. And for him, this is evidence for whether you're a Christian or not. It, it, we can often think, oh, I'm not sure if, if God's actually changed my life at all, or have I accepted him, or am I a Christian? And, and you look back, and people who are more mature in their faith will look back and say, it's a journey. I, maybe I did have a defining moment, but for a lot of us, you suddenly turn back and realize that has been in my life before. What Paul says is if you've got love, if you've got faith, a bit of hope, then these are the evidence for you being a Christian. He says that this, the, these three things only come from God. So if you've recently asked the Lord into your life and you think, oh, nothing's changed, well, maybe reflect, say, is there a little bit more love? Have I got a little bit more faith? Have I got a little bit more hope? Because that's how Paul tells us we can measure whether we're a Christian or not, whether the Lord is working in us. He doesn't say to the church in Colossians, you're going to be overflowed with love straight away. You're going to be you're never going to be pessimistic again. You're never going to think that something bad might happen. But if you start to see a little change in you, these little fruits, they come from God. Be proud that you're a Christian. Be proud in Christ and what he's done for you. And celebrate it. When we realize that there's a true gospel and we're true Christians, it then brings the question, okay, what do we do next? How do we go deeper in our discipleship? Often, when you hear the good news, you hear the true gospel, you want to go out and you want to tell everyone straight away. And that is good, and we should feel like that. You should have that joy and want to go and do that. But the next thing Paul says is he says, I've been giving thanks for you for that. I've been thanking the Father that you are Christians, that you've heard the true grace, that you've not just heard it, you've understood it. How often do we forget to say thank you. I remember being a kid and um, being taught by my parents that when you get given a gift, a, a present, you go and say thank you to your grandparents, to your aunt and uncle, whoever's given it to you. Uh, I hate to admit, but sometimes me and my brothers still get reminded at 23, 20 and 15 that we need to say thank you to those who have given us presents. Paul is reminding us that we need to thank the Father for what he's done for his true gospel, that we can profess uh, and proclaim that we are Christians. In the modern society, we get so caught up in what's the next thing, what's coming next. Let's go spread the word, maybe. And for me, on my holiday, I went from France to Germany to Switzerland. Every time I was in one stop, I was thinking about the next place. When I was in France, I was thinking, oh, it would be lovely when I'm in Germany. I've not been to the south of Germany before. I was in Germany, I was like... I'm getting a bit bored of Germany, but I love Italy, and that's where we're going next, so I can't wait to get to Italy. I needed to pause and reflect on where I was, and that's what Paul's calling us to do. If you hear the gospel of grace and your immediate reaction is not, I want to go and thank God, then I suggest to go and grapple with the idea of grace, grapple with the gospel again, because you've probably missed part of it. That should be our first reaction. And then out of that, 
comes the want to tell other people. Now, like I said, Paul didn't know the church in Colossae. He didn't know the Colossians. Um, But he didn't have to tell them that he was saying thank you, that he was thanking the Lord for what was going on in their lives. It's quite easy for us to to often think that when we want to say thank you to to God, we should just do it ourselves in in silence. It's between me and God, and it it is between you and God, and that's how you get to another level of deeper discipleship is through that, that, that thanking. But Paul tells the church that he's thanking them for what they're doing, for the good works, affirming them in their faith. Shouldn't we be doing that as St. John's? Imagine if after the service, Eddie pulled you to the side. Pulls you to the side and says, I've heard about you. I've heard about what you're doing. What's your immediate thought? Oh, what have I done wrong? Oh, no. You, you know, uh, has, he, has he found out that I left the toilet seat up in the toilet at church? Or did he know that I left the Bible pew open or accidentally dropped it on the floor or whatever it is? And if some of you have done something wrong, you might be thinking, oh, even, even greater things. But that's, it's in our innate sense of feeling ashamed and that we've done something wrong, that when someone pulls us to the side, that's the thoughts we have straight away. Paul is pulling to the side the Colossians and going, I've not seen what you're doing, but I've heard about you. And I want to say, you've done really well, and I'm thanking God for what's going on. Let's do that in St. John's. If Eddie pulls you to the side, how nice would it feel if he pulled you to the side, and it's it's been the the youth weekend away recently, yeah? If you're helping out with that, he pulls you to the side and said, I've heard about you, I've heard about the weekend away. Oh no, what have you heard? I've heard that you barely got any sleep but you woke up the next morning and you kept telling the youth about Christ. You kept showing them love. You were really tired, but you kept persevering. Pulls you to the side. Oh, I've heard about you. I've heard that every time you come into the the church, you you just leave something for the food bank. You know, I thank God for, for, for what you're doing. I thank God for you being in a place that you're able to provide and serve. And I thank you for what you're doing. Let's be a church that's encouraging each other in our thankfulness. When we go out and witness, uh, like, like Richard, Richard mentioned, we go and talk to people. Imagine if we've built up such a community of saying thank you to everyone that they see that in us. How would they feel if at the end of going and, and talking to them, they say, oh, thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to me. As Brits, normally we're not very good at thank you, at saying thank you or we're, we're grumpy, we're, we're, we're gloomy. It would really shock me if someone genuinely said, oh, thank you for listening to me. You'd think, why, sh- why should I be thanked? You're the one who's telling me the good news and-, and what's going on. You should be thanking yourselves. Often you hear the slogan, see it, say it, and it's some kind of watch out for missing bags or left bags. It might be a bomb on the train or something like that. Imagine if we had a culture of see it, say it in St. John's where we saw something good and we told them, we said, I'm thanking the Lord for, for what he's doing in your life and what you're doing in the church. How powerful would that be in our witness, in our revival? If I was Paul, I'd be quite tempted to leave the beginning of Colossians there. Um, when, when I've been at my... Uh, house group in Leeds, we do our Bible study, we pray about what we've been reading, and then we'd go around and we'd ask everyone, oh, what do you need prayer for in your life? What's going on? Often when we think about prayer and praying for people, 
we think about, oh, who's empty? Who's, who's having a tough time? Who's struggling? They're the people who need prayer. My life's okay. I, I'm, I don't need anything. I'd sit in, in my house group and kind of like try and shrink back into the sofa and be like, uh, don't ask me what's going on. I'm actually okay right now. And we feel ashamed that we're okay. Oh, go, don't worry about me. Everything's all right. Yeah, just, just, yeah, it's okay. Let's, let's go pray for James. He's struggling at work or something like that. What Paul says is pray for more. Let's not stop there. He prays for a greater knowledge and understanding of God's will through wisdom and understanding through the Spirit. And he also prays for power uh, to have the meaningful strength uh, for patience and endurance. For me, uh, I was thinking about this and I thought, what, what stops me from, from praying a prayer like that? Why is, is my first thought, oh, everything's okay, I don't need prayer? Uh, the, the first reason, I think, and you might find yourself in, in the same situation, uh, is that we often think that we're, we're not worthy of more prayer or we don't deserve it, we're okay, we don't need anything, let's not ask for anything else. You know, Paul's reminded us, uh, at the beginning of the letter, reminded the church, reminded the Colossians that the, it's a gospel of grace. He said, you got it right. If we sit here and think, oh, I'm in a good place, I don't need any more, then we've forgotten the message of the true gospel. The gospel of grace. He doesn't go, okay, that's it, you're, you're done, you've had enough, let me move on to the next person. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to keep growing. He wants us to deepen in our meaningful relationship. That, that's what it means about going deeper in our, in our discipleship. So maybe a challenge for you is to, is at the end of this, to, to, to go through and think, okay, actually, yeah, I want more. And it's okay to want more. He encourages us to want more. For me, when I, when I hear this challenge, my challenge is actually, I'm scared of what more means. And I didn't realize how scared I was of what more means until I read this passage and then I reflected and I thought, yeah, that's what's stopping me. I'm scared of more. I mentioned I was on holiday, I was on a holiday with my friend uh, Luca driving round. And every day in the morning he's got an alarm that goes off at 11.24 and he prays. No matter what he's doing, we're driving the car, he prays. I heard him in the shower listening to music and then suddenly the alarm went off, it went quiet for a bit and then the music went back on. He was praying there. Whatever he's doing, at that moment he prays. And um, when we were on our holiday... He was like, okay, Ben. He prayed for a few days. He was like, Ben, it's your turn to pray. Um, and he'd been praying to, to see God's kingdom come, to witness to people, to, to encourage them, to, to share the truth of the gospel. And I, I sat there and thought, oh, yeah, those are really good things to be praying, but I'm not sure I really feel like I can have those conversations with people right now. Um, I'm not sure I want to. We're going into Switzerland. I don't know. I've never been to the country before. I, I'm not ready to to pray a prayer like that but I thought okay well he's challenged me to pray I need to pray so I, I, I said oh yeah God I pray that I see your kingdom come um, and that I'd be able to share it uh, with other Christians and God knew what I meant what I really was praying was just show me that your kingdom's about by sending other Christians in my day so we bump into other Christians have a conversation and I know you're listening to my prayers I'm not ready to go and uh, witness to other people at, at right now I'm, I'm scared of that 
but if you can just put some Christians in my place, then I'll know that you're listening to my prayers. Kind of prayed it and thought, back of my mind, like, that would be really nice, but, you know, maybe it won't happen. Um, we, get, we, we went to these waterfalls called the Rhine Falls. I don't know if anyone's been there. It's like meant to be the European version of Niagara Falls. They are beautiful, but nowhere near as big. Um, but we were listening to Christian music. We got out of the car, and Luca carried on singing a hymn. Uh, I went to the... Uh, and I, we were on the way to walk to our toilets where we'd parked the car. And there was a, two German couples who uh, were retired on a holiday. Uh, they heard Luca singing his hymn, and said, Hallelujah, Maranatha. It's well, so a bit, bit weird, but okay. Went to the toilet, came back. Luca was still singing, the, finishing off the, 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 the hymn, or, and we were walking down the stairs, and we walked past these two German couples again. Um, and they said, Hallelujah, again. Well, okay, it wasn't once a month, enough. <laughs> Uh, Luca paused and said, "Oh, are, are, are you Christians? Do, do you know that? Do you know that the rest of the song?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, of course we know the hymn." And they said the next um, verse to him. And Luca was like, "Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing!" Walked down the steps, and, and he was. We we're having a conversation with them, and they they were amazed that they'd met two young Christians who were open to talk about their faith. And they, we, we prayed with them, and we prayed a similar prayer that I prayed this morning about seeing the, the kingdom come. And the whole time Luca's praying and they're praying, I've got my eyes closed going, I'm actually really scared right now, Jesus. I prayed to you that we'd meet people and you answered my prayer. Uh, and I, I was shaken on the inside and I was like, I didn't expect it to be answered, but he did answer it. A few days uh, uh, later, it was my turn to pray again. And I thought, oh, well, he answered my prayer last time. I'm actually even more scared that if I pray that I have to talk to someone, he's going to answer it. Um, anyway, but I thought, no, I kind of made that promise in my mind that if you did that, then I'd, I'd pray that we'd witness to someone. So I prayed that, I prayed that prayer. Um, and later on that afternoon, or it might have been the next day, uh, we were swimming in the sea uh, in, in, a, in a town in Italy. And we started having this conversation with uh, this teenager from America um, and I was thinking, oh, is, is this it? But I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to witness. I don't want to say anything. I'll let Luca do the talking. And Luca started having a conversation with it. And before you know it, they're having this full-blown conversation about who Christ is, what it means to be a Christian, about the true, true, true gospel. The, the, the boy didn't know whether he was a Christian or not. And by the end of the conversation, he ended up asking the Lord and, and Jesus to intercede in his life and to, and to live in him and, and to be in his heart. And it, it was amazing, and, and I came away from it thinking, wow, I mean, I prayed a lot more over the holiday and, and other things didn't happen, but two of the prayers were answered. I come to this, this passage and know that I should be praying for more, to go deeper for, for more of it, but I'm actually scared that he's going to answer it. And as I've been working through this, I realized, actually, what am I scared of? I'm scared of the unknown. But if I look back to the beginning, what does Paul say the fruits are that we start, that we um, see in our lives if we pray? He talks about love, hope, and faith. I know what that is. I've experienced it in my life before. Yeah, I'll pray for more of that. I'm, I'm, let, let's pray for more of that. Let's pray for m- more wisdom and knowledge of his will so that we can see uh, 
fruit-bearing in, in every good work, work we do and lead us to a life living worthy of the Lord. I can do that. I'm excited to do that, actually. For each of us, we'll be at a different stage. There's three steps here. Knowing the true gospel and knowing we're true Christians. Being thankful and praying for more. Whether, whether you're a new Christian or reaffirming your faith, you've, you've come through a lull. That's the, that's the person that Paul's writing this letter to. People who aren't sure about their faith. They're not sure they've heard the true gospel. They're not sure they're truly Christians. I think the challenge I'd leave you is to be affirmed in your faith and to thank God for where you are. Thank you that I know and understand the gospel of grace. And pray for more of that. For, for you, uh, there might be, you might not know what more, more means. You might be scared of more like I was. But you've started to experience, hopefully, a little bit of change in your life. And that's what praying for more means. For some here, you might be more mature and, and think, well, actually, I'm in a good place. I don't need more prayer. Well, Paul's calling us for more prayer to go deeper. I challenge you to pray that for whatever place you are in your maturity of your faith, that you'd have a desire to go deeper. And as we read through the rest of Colossians, that you'd be challenged in putting down deeper roots in your discipleship. The challenge for both groups there, for both sets, whichever one you feel like you're falling into, is in the regularity of praying that prayer. Victoria mentioned it earlier. We heard it in the reading. Paul says, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. The real challenge isn't to pray the prayer of, of thanks and to understand the gospel today and, and to pray for more today. It's to come to tomorrow and pray it again. It's to go to bed in the evening tomorrow to pray again, to wake up Tuesday morning and pray it. It's to pray it every day. And I think, for me, that's, that's what the challenge is for me, to, 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 for this not to be a one-off thing. So I, I, I leave you hoping and, and asking for more faithfulness to come back to Christ and to pray for it every day.